This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And we can imagine that people thought, you know, I was getting ready to leave. They're thinking, where's he going? Where's he going? Does he have to leave? Does he have to leave? I mean, is it something we said? Is it something we did? Did we offend him? Why is he going? We've been friendly to him. Why doesn't he just stay here with us? Like the disciples who asked the Lord, don't leave in Luke 24, 28. Luke 24, 28, where they said, and they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. In other words, left them. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke and gave to them. And their eyes were open that they should know him, and he vanished out of their sight. I mean, they wanted him to stay. They didn't want him to leave. But he stayed a little bit longer, but then he left, he vanished. Why? Because in verse 53 of our passage here, verse 53 He left them because he had a burning passion in him. And that burning passion was to go seek the lost, the other lost that weren't there in that group. And those other lost were in dangerous places for him, very dangerous. Those lost were in the synagogues, which was a, the synagogue was a place that was hostile to him. It was dangerous. So he left the safety of his friends to go to the dangerous place, dangerous places to seek the lost because he had been sent on a mission. He'd been sent on a mission to go find and save the lost wherever they are. You know, we've got these maps, these prayer maps up here, and they're back there, and you can go get one. These maps and these places here where these students have gone to are dangerous places. They're going this year to Cleveland, Ohio. That's a place where in the past that the, one of the girls had a, a gun pulled on her. 
A man went up to her glove compartment, pulled a gun on her. That's dangerous. They're going to places like Franklin Park, New Jersey, where in the past, a man took his car and tried to run the students down. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. They're going to all these places here. You go to all these places. That's where you want to know where the dangerous places are. That's where, when you see the men going in a team, we're not going to send the women to the dangerous place. The women go to nice places like Miami, where the sun's shining and everybody's nice to them there. But see, the men are going now to Cleveland. We sent women before, but now men go to Cleveland and to Franklin Park. Dangerous places. And why do they do this? Why don't they just stay in their churches and stay where and sing songs like Happy Are We? You know, why don't they do that? Because just like him, they've been sent out. They've been sent out on a mission. Go find the lost wherever they are, just like us. It's safe. It's comfortable for us to be in a place like this right now among believers. Everybody nods, says amen. Preach it, brother. Wonderful. But the Lord calls them to go find his sheep, just like the hymn says, just like the hymn says, hark, tis the shepherd's voice I hear. Out in the desert, dark and drear, calling the sheep who've gone astray, far from the shepherds fold away. Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Who'll go and help this shepherd kind? Help him the wandering ones to find. Who'll bring the lost ones to the fold? where they'll be sheltered from the cold. Out in the desert, hear their cry. Out on the mountains, wild and high. Hark, tis the master speaks to thee. Go find my sheep where'er they be. Go find my sheep where'er they be. This is what the Lord was doing in verse 53. He was leaving the shelter to go out on the mountains, wild and high. He was obeying his father, who said, go find my sheep, where'er they be. And that meant, verse 54, when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. The synagogue was the center of his enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees. The synagogue was the last place that he should go if he was worried about his own safety. The synagogue should have been the place where He should have been welcomed as a center for learning about God, but the synagogue had been hijacked, hijacked by the scribes and the Pharisees who used the synagogue to steer the people to themselves away from God by teaching the people that if the people followed their oral law, which their group had written, that they could earn their way to heaven by the good works that they prescribed. And so the synagogue became an enemy of the grace of God, of the salvation of God. The synagogue should have been Christ's synagogue, but it was not, and he wasn't welcomed there. And that's why this one word in verse 54 tells it all. And that one word in verse 54 is, he taught them in their synagogue. The one word is there. There, it was their synagogue. And when he was teaching in their synagogue, that enabled the people in their synagogue to hear his wisdom and to see his mighty works. And that raised the question. That raised the question within the synagogue in verse 54. Verse 54, whence then, 
Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? They didn't deny that the Lord had this wisdom and had these mighty works. Those were obvious. That could not be denied. Their question was not, does he have wisdom or does he have mighty works? The question was, where does it come from? Where does the wisdom and the mighty works come from? What's the source? Now, with this accusation, they're hinting at, hitting at an accusation that they had already promoted in Matthew 12, 24, Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. They had already made the accusation. He gets it all from his league, being in league with the devil. But now they're not saying that his power has come from the devil. They've hinted at it. But now they're questioning, how could he have this wisdom? How could he have this power having come from such a family as this? This poor family, a carpenter? This family of nobodies? In verse 55, verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary, his brethren James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? His sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So much for Mary being an eternal virgin, but apart from that. And having concluded that he was a nobody, came from a nobody family, a family of nobodies, they came to their own response to all this in verse 57, verse 57, they were offended in him. Another uh, translation puts it, they took offense, which I like. They took offense because it really gives a picture that an offense was offered and they could either take it or leave it and they took it. They took it. Now, this word offended is key in this verse, 57. It's key because it's a Greek word behind it, the word offended, and it is the word scandalon. Scandalon, which is where we get our word scandal from. It means scandal. It was scandalous. For the Lord Jesus to have all this wisdom, to have all his mighty works, which they acknowledge he had, they thought it was a scandal. It was a scandal. The essential meaning of scandal is that it's something that is just wrong. It's just wrong. A scandal is morally wrong, like an adultery is a scandal. A scandal is legally wrong, like a bribe is a scandal. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. That's what scandal means. And that's what's meant in verse 57. It was a, just a scandal for Jesus to have this wisdom and these mighty works. For them, it was wrong, wrong, wrong. It should not be. It must not be. It's against everything that is right. That's how they viewed it. And the key to their view of this word scandal in verse 57 is that this is the word scandalon, scandal. It's translated stumbling block in another key passage which elaborates on why this is a scandal, why this is so wrong, which is in 1 Corinthians 1.23. 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 this passage here, this passage in 1 Corinthians 1.23 through 29, that portion there elaborates on why this is a scandal, and it uses this word so that we're anchored in this 1 Corinthians 1.23 portion. We're anchored to verse 57 in our passage. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a scandalon, a stumbling block, a scandalon, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So this passage here, 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 29, is a sister passage to verse 57. They were offended in him. And the link, this is meant, the center, the link, the essential link here is the word scandalon. So 1 Corinthians 1, 23 tells us that when we promote Christ, when we preach Christ crucified, when we promote Christ crucified, that to the Jews is a scandalon, it's a stumbling block. Christ crucified? The Messiah crucified? That's a scandal. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. It should never be, say the Jews. Our Messiah crucified? No. To say such a thing is scandalous to the Jewish, say the Jewish leaders. Our God crucified? Our God crucified? The God of Israel crucified? That's a scandal. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. It should never be so, say the Jews. Our God crucified? No. To say such a thing is scandalous say the rabbis. Whereas the hymn says, the hymn says, it's amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So this passage in 1 Corinthians 1.23 describes a great disconnect, a disconnect between what man says about Christ crucified, Christ crucified, and what God says about Christ crucified. And the disconnect is between how God sees Christ crucified and how man sees Christ crucified. Because God sees Christ crucified as the power of God, as the wisdom of God. And man sees Christ crucified as weakness and foolishness. And this is where you get this amazing two phrases in 1 Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25, which says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger, uh, stronger than men. The two phrases in that verse of 1 Corinthians 1.25 are the foolishness of God and the weakness of God. And that's amazing because in those two statements, what we can see God saying to the world, God is responding to the world. And in essence, he's saying, do you call it foolishness for me as God to become a man and to be crucified for the sins of man, then I accept your title, and you can call that the foolishness of God. Go ahead. And God would say, do you call it weak for me as God to become a man and to be as helpless as Isaiah 53, 7? Isaiah 53, 7, that describes me as he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he opened not his mouth. Do you call that weakness? 
to be like a lamb, then go ahead, call it weakness, and I'll take the title, the weakness of God. And the Jewish leaders say, our God to be so weak? Our God to be so weak as to be afflicted and not open his mouth? To be so weak as to be brought as a lamb to the slaughter, even if he is God, being slaughtered and to remain silent? Our God like that? No, they say, may it never be. Why even think such a thing is a scandal. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. It can't be. That's the God of the Christians. It's not the God of the Jews, they say. That's a scandalous. That's foolish. That's weakness. And God says, yes, it is. It's the foolishness of God. 1 Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And God says, yes, it is. It's the weakness of God. 1 Corinthians 1.25. The weakness of God is stronger than men. And then the call comes back in this 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 29 portion. The call comes back. Look around you, followers of Christ. Look around you, followers of the Lord Jesus. Look around at your fellow followers of the Lord Jesus and tell me what you see in the group. Tell me what you see in the group. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. What do you see, he says, in this group of Christ followers? Not many with what the world would call wise, with the world's conferred degrees of wisdom. Not many mighty, not many of the class of nobility. The, word, the wisdom and the miracles of Christ, they weren't denied, but the offense was there. Offense derived, and they got this offense from the group. They said, this group, he's not a part of the group that are wealthy. He's not a part of the group that are religious. He's not a part of the group that are esteemed, that are noble, that have these exalted positions, the mighty, the notoriously wise of the world. He's not a part of this group that doesn't need a physician the righteous of the world, the boasters, the braggers of self. He's not a part of that. He's a part of another group, they said. He's a part of a group that's considered the foolish. He's a part of a group that's considered the weak things of the world. They confuse the world. He's a part of the group that's despised. He's a part of the group which are nothing. They're nobodies. They're not. He's a part of the group that don't talk about themselves. They don't boast about themselves. They're non-observant, as they say. They're non-frimmers. They don't observe. In Yiddish, these are people, they do, all they talk about, they boast of God. I mean, just think about the beggar Lazarus, the beggar Lazarus. How was he viewed by the world in Luke 16.20? Luke 16.20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. How was he looked upon? This part of his group. Consider how the publicans and sinners were viewed by this group that followed him, and they were viewed in Luke 15:2. Luke 15:2. The scribes and Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Consider how the, the poor, the diseased, the maimed, and those who, were, those who needed a soul physician, how they were viewed, like that man in John 9, that blind man, 
John 9, 7, John 9, 7, said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sin. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, the neighbors, therefore, and they which had seen him that he was blind said, is not this he that sat and begged? He was a part of this group. He was a part of, of what God considered, as far as God looked at it, he says, the power of God the wisdom of God, the weakness of God, stronger than man, the foolish things of the world, the righteousness of God, the sanctified, the redeemed. But there was one thing absent from this group that he was associating with, this group of Christ followers. And what was absent was self-braggers, self-braggers. I mean, what are they gonna brag about? What are they gonna brag about? That they, that they begged and that they had sores so bad that the dogs came and licked them? That's something to brag about? Are they going to brag about how they were dirty, rotten sinners? Is that something to brag about? Or were they going to dirty, brag about how they cheated others out of their money and took bribes? That's something to brag about? No. That was what they were ashamed of. And so 1 Corinthians 1.29, 1 Corinthians 1.29 becomes functional, becomes effective. No flesh should glory in his presence. And that's what God wants in his heaven. God wants in his heaven that none of the Christ followers would ever say to another person, I don't think you know who you're talking to. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. How could they? You know, when I wrote the book Changed, I told my life as a dirty, rotten sinner. That book is for me, the title's Changed. It should be shamed. But for God, it was glorious because he saved me. Someone who received the book, my book Changed, reminded him of a painting of George Whitfield. George Whitfield, the famous preacher. George Whitfield had warts on his face. So when a painter came to paint him, he said, Mr. Whitfield, I, I can paint you without the warts. And Whitfield says, nope, paint me warts and all. So the person wrote me and says, your book is warts and all. <laughs> now again, they ask him the same question in verse 56. Verse 56, his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Twice. He's asked this question. The question is raised. Whence then hath this man all these things? It's a burning question. It's a burning question. It's a troubling question. Because in this question, they're denying their own conscience, they're defying their own conviction, and they're rejecting the obvious. The obvious is that he has authority. He's got authority. Matthew 7.29, Matthew 7.29, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He's got an authority that the scribes don't have. And where do you see this authority? Really exercised? You see it on the Sermon on the Mount. That's why the whole Sermon on the Mount ends with that statement. In Matthew 7, 29, he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribe. So the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about authority. He's exercising his authority. And how's he doing this? He's pronounced, every time he pronounced in the Sermon on the Mount, I say unto you, he was exercising authority, as in Matthew 5.28 on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.28, Matthew 5.28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. It was common to sit on the corner and watch all the girls go by. You know? Common to look and lust and fantasize. That was common. But his enemy says, who is this? who calls looking and lusting adultery? By what authority does he say that? 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.